Welcome to Rich Conversations. Today we'll chat with Cynthia Teschner. We recorded this on Memorial Day. So, as you're aware, a lot of things have happened since then. But this discussion was so great. I really enjoyed it because not only did she discuss her uh, experience living on the South Side for a number of years, but also her Native American roots, in particular her uh, Lakota and Ojibwa tribe traditions and heritage, and, and even the history between her family and Chicago. It was really incredible, and she brings so much energy that I'm so excited to share this with you guys. I had a blast, and uh, I know that you'll learn a lot from listening to it. So without further ado, let's begin. All right. So we have Cynthia here. How are you doing living under the threat of COVID-19 right now? Honestly, I've been more in my house more than ever, Um, but I'm working from home. As you can see, I'm in my office right now. So it's always on on the grind for me from, you know, morning till dusk and after. (laughs) Doing doing what? So I am um, a financial coach. So essentially what I do is I help people learn how money works and how to use those concepts to build a financial plan so that way they get ahead. And the ultimate goal is actually financially freeing families. Awesome. I love it. What was your daily routine like before and what does it look like now? Um, so... Before, I have to admit, I was not definitely as much on my grind as I am now. I think through COVID, it's really opened up my eyes to how much more I have to be organized and use diligence on a daily basis um, before I honestly wake up a little bit late. Um, But now, (laughs) I mean... When you can, you can. But now I've been waking up at 4.30 every morning. I've been going to sleep at like 11.30 and I've constantly been working. Dang. Yes. So you're busier now. Yeah. So it's a no Netflix session for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What's, What's something new you're doing or feeling during the pandemic that surprised you? I guess for me, I've really tried to look at everything in a positive way. I mean... As we know, everything's so tragic in the world around us. I mean, me personally, I know of people like within three days, four people who I know extensively um, have passed away. So, I mean, of course, like that things is tragic and it kind of like makes us think more about where we are, where do we want to go and how to live, make the most of each moment. Right. Um, And it's just really kind of resonated with me that. Time is precious, and if you want something, you have to fight for it and give it all you got. So that's essentially kind of my taking from this, and what kind of surprised me is that it's it's been a wake-up call. Yeah. Wow, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm kind of deep, so. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you lived in Chicago? Um, it's been about seven years now. Um, I actually came here for grad school at uh, UIC alum. Hey, what's going on? Let's go Flames. <laughs> <laughs> um, went to grad school in uh, Latin American Latino studies. And I guess it's kind of unique because I'm actually Native American, but Latinos are indigenous as well. So I taught classes there as a TA. And I later worked in CPS 
in the American Indian Education Program, came back and I worked in student services, helping high school students get ready for college. And now I'm currently my own work. So, so Chicago has definitely been a critical building piece for me, um, you know, not only, you know, spiritually, personally, but definitely professionally. Yeah. What neighborhood are you in now? Um, I actually recently moved to Englewood and I love it. <laughs> Tell me about it. So honestly, I was really surprised that so many people are so friendly. I've, you know, in Chicago, I've lived in so many different places, but more on the south side. Um, I first came to Pilsen. Um, I was in La Vita for a while. I was in Cicero, back of the yards, and then I moved here to Englewood. So you, um, wow, you, you've gone to a, a number of different neighborhoods on the south side. Though. I have. I just kind of wanted like a buffet, like try a little bit of everything. Yeah. <laughs> but um, people are generally nice. That I know that we come from, you know, the same, you know, small town, if you will. Yeah, um, Cynthia and I actually went to the same <laughs> high school together, which is, is it's a rare thing uh, to both be in Chicago. It's because uh, we're, we're in a rural community and it's it's cool that it's unfortunate that it took this long for us to figure out that we both live in the same city together, but but here we are. Happily like, reunited. Come on the podcast. Yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, one thing that I always, you know, find when people who are from where we're from, they're like, oh, you live in Chicago, and they have this negative sentiment. And I'm like, yes, I'm proud of being from Chicago, you know, now that I call it like my new, um, newfound home, because people are so nice, friendly, and they're always looking out for one another. Um, I've, you know, predominantly lived in Latino areas, and, you know, people are friendly. Um, I've been in a pickle of situations where I just needed help, and people just came to me, no funny business, and they're like, hey, you know, do you need help, ma'am? And I'm like, yes, please, because I've no idea what I'm gonna do um and then here in Englewood people are so friendly like they know that we're new and they're always like hey how's it going you know hope Mm -hmm. welcome to the neighborhood and it just it has that that hometown feel that you know you're welcome and I just I really love it and appreciate it so how do you because I I feel this way that a lot of the values from our hometown and area are pretty similar to the values here you know, and people think it's so different because the mm-hmm. culture is like a 180 difference, but the values in the Midwest almost are shared in the city and urban lives so where it's just be a mm-hmm. good person and be friendly, help each other out, you know? Mm-hmm. Most definitely. I mean, like I've also lived in Milwaukee um, and it's very different. Like the, this, the feel of Chicago and Milwaukee, even though Milwaukee's smaller, like Chicago, there's much more tight-knit community. It doesn't matter what community you're from. People are always looking out to help and to be friendly. Um, definitely different from Milwaukee because I've been in a pickle of situations there, too. And people just kind of look at you and they walk away. And then here people are like, hey, do you need anything? Do you look lost? Yeah. Because when I first got in the L train, I'm like, oh, my God, I have no idea what direction to go. And thank God I speak Spanish, too, because uh, yeah. the guy's like, you know, I'll actually bring you to the platform and show you where to go. And I'm like, wow, that's really oh, nice of people. Yeah. yeah. Chicago's great. So yeah. what are your favorite features of each neighborhood that you've lived in? Um, wow. It, that, it's really hard. But I honestly, for me, the, the centerpiece is just that sense of community that somebody's looking out. And I think that's really has resonated in me. Um, one being, you know, a person from a native community, I'm, you know, used that to that type of kinship, but to experience that from all communities, especially in a large urban space has been special. Um, the other thing is that I have no family here. I don't know. I'm sure you don't have any family here too, right? No. 
No, I don't. Um, and then, you know, my parents actually live on the native reservation about almost 10 hours from here. So I really have nobody close to here. So yeah. um, knowing that, you know, I can call on, you know, people from around me if I need help and I actually feel safer here than I would honestly in Milwaukee. I tell people that all the time and they think I'm crazy back home. <laughs> I'm like, you haven't lived in Chicago, okay? <laughs> wow. Wow, that's so fascinating. <laughs> so if you have an open day, say pre-COVID, how would you normally choose to spend it? If I actually had a free day, I can't even yeah. ponder that, honestly, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> but um, honestly, for me, I'm all about, you know, exercise. I'd probably go to the gym or if I could go play soccer. I'm a huge soccer player. Huh. I play on the south side, um, which I got a lot of friends. So probably maybe a pickup game or something. And I'd love doing the carne asadas or the cookouts at the, the beach, on you know, at oh. the lake. Yeah. yeah, and put some music on. Gotta get that dancing. Gotta get some pickup games on. You know, over there too. I I go all out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. So when you think of Chicago, what colors do you imagine first? Honestly, I think of blue. Blue because of the water. Um, I guess it kind of goes. I'm very native centered. Um, thinking about blue as being life looking back you know the old historic Chicago before Chicago was you know um, post settlers but also too thinking that there's so much life here there's you know not only it's an international community um, a lot of my favorite places have to do with the water as far as the lake the rivers and I think blue in my my opinion I feel like it's like harmony and going back to that theme of okay. interconnected communities that's cool <laughs> what's your proudest moment as a Chicagoan um so for me I was thinking about this and I'm thinking that it would definitely be when there was an accident actually in front of my house um a little while ago and all the neighbors came out to help the people and they were like asking if they if they needed anything, if they wanted water, making sure everybody's okay. And for me, I thought that was really beautiful how in a time of an emergency, people just coming together at an instant notice. And I thought I thought that was something really special. Yeah. So something really small, like not even like a big event or the Cubs winning the World Series. It's like something as small and as significant as just like an accident outside and people just helping each other. Mm -hmm. Is that in Inglewood or what neighborhood was it? Yeah, it was Englewood. Englewood? Yeah, because cool. I mean, if you, you think about it, some people might be stranded or something. A lot of times people just pass by and they're just like, well, I, I don't have time for that or whatever. But yeah, your people I, stopped in their day and they're just like, okay, first make sure everybody's okay. You know, what do we need? Make sure they feel comfortable. You know, mm -hmm. wait for, you know, the police to come and make sure everything's taken care of. And I thought that was really nice. That is really nice. So if someone visits you from out of town, what restaurant are you going to take them to? Hopefully you'll come and visit me so I can take you here so you can have the Okay. Okay, you come in town to the south side. We're going to uh, La Vieta. We're going to uh, Nuevo Leon. So Nuevo Leon is a restaurant that is like 
pretty much all the, you know, Mexicans know. It's very home time feel. It's on, you know, 26th Street. They recently have um, the Day of the Dead mural that got a lot of attention. So some people might know what I'm referring to. But the one thing that I love about it is, again, the, the family connection. They come in, they make you feel like family. You get like an appetizer and you, um, a free appetizer. They make sure you're comfortable. They have karaoke. Definitely the good vibes and to give you free dessert and i'm all about that free dessert <laughs> yeah. that sounds awesome yeah uh, what so that's 26th street is that mm-hmm. pilsen no it's um little village La Vida. okay a little bit yeah close yeah. close to it right mm-hmm. oh man that's good I'm La Vida. You, you gotta come on down yeah La Vida. they're known for their mole so mole is a very traditional actually an indigenous dish from Mexico but a lot of times people like I said they don't recognize Latinos or especially Mexicans as being indigenous but uh, there's a lot of I think there's like 72 different spices in that that they use Whoa. they even use chocolate in it and chocolate, chocolate was you know from the gods and everything but yeah I'm a nerd I could talk all about that <laughs> You know me. I, I can't hide from you, Richie. You know me back in high school, so we didn't even go in there. <laughs> okay, so what's your hidden gem in the city? For me, um, I when I think of hidden, I'm like, okay, something that people really don't often go to, right? There's a little hill by uh, Soldier Stadium that's over by Museum Campus that I love to go to and I ride my bike because parking is hard to get to, right? And I park on the top of the hill and I just kind of like sit and let the beauty of, you know, Chicago skyline sit in and then you're next to the lake and it's just it's just all beauty right there. That's okay. my, my favorite so little this spot. Hill. This hill. I've gone, I've been on the Museum Campus quite a bit. Is it, is it the one by the Adler Planetarium? Yeah, it's further south from that. Okay, so it's is it south of the stadium? Um, I think I think it's a between there. Let's see. Okay. And so. there, there's actually um, a winding hill um, pathway all the way up that has concrete. But I think sometimes people go there to go sledding because it's you get some good you know traction when you go down. Or yeah, it's good for Museum rolling. Museum campus is like the <laughs> the sledding spot in the city because because yeah. everywhere else is very flat. Um, mm-hmm. Wait, so this hill, okay. So I, I think it's, is it just east of the stadium? Like, yeah. does the hill, does the hill face? The, the hill faces north. You would know because of the winding, it's almost like a V, like, or a zigzag okay. all the way up to the top. And then there's parking on the side. And then just a little short walk over the parking lot, then you're in the, um, the area. I'm trying to look it up too right now. It's on the other side of Northerly Island, over by 18th Drive. So it's and by the beach over there. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. So it's like. Uh, you see the zigzag on on it, right? I think so. By like the Burnham Harbor. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it's like southeast of the stadium, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah, I, I just I, I used to go there on bike all the time because I lived in Pilsen and I loved being on 18th Street and you can just take 18th Street just, all the yeah. way over and then you go up by um, the stadium and they have the overpass and I was like, ooh, you get some good traction and you just go all the way. <laughs> so you yeah, so then you you're overlooking everything and you have all the museums in your site too, right? Yeah, it's definitely a place I go to. I have a picnic. 
<laughs> using quotations. Is that like an adult picnic? Well, as far as like you can like bring your uh, your food, but of course your adult drinks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what sound do you most affiliate with Chicago? For me, it's just the sounds of like different ethnic music. I'm a huge person on culture. I love cultural exploration, you know, because of, you know, my background and just hearing all these different harmonizing tunes, all these different languages. It's just, it's, it's like a a cultural heaven for me. Because as you know, back home, everybody pretty much speaks just English and it's just pretty, you know, mono, monocultural, you know, background. Mm -hmm. And then coming here, it's just like, wow, there's just so much life, so much world, so many people, so many different stories. And it's just like, why visit a museum when we, you know, we have everybody around us and we can learn from one another and bring ourselves closer to one another. Yeah, that is great. (laughs) It is great. Uh, Something I like to do is go to, during the summer, Millennium Park, and I just sit by the bean. It's also known as Cloudgate, I learned. And, oh, okay. <laughs> and I just watch people that have come from all around the world. They're just so happy, and their faces just have these huge smiles because they're here in Chicago, and I hear all these different languages, and it's like, wow, they came to the city that I live. This is so special. And then you're right, too, like... On a daily basis, you can hear all these different languages. It's cool. And it's like, how did how did everybody get here? And why are we all here? And and we're all staying here. And we're together in this, you know? Most definitely. So what, it's quite fascinating. <laughs> what music has influenced you most since you uh, have been here? That's, like, so hard for me to say. Um because, I mean, yes, I am Native, but, like, I did grow up really tied to the Latino community. But the thing for me, though, it's it's been kind of centered around drums and connecting the drums from other communities to my community and seeing the unison. For instance, kind of like tamborazo. I, have you heard of that one before? Uh, <laughs> probably not. Or not the word, but if I heard it, I might... I might recognize yeah. it. What is it like? It's it, it's um a Mexican genre where there's a lot of emphasis on the drums, um okay. but it's kind of like upbeat and you're kind of like bouncing in your groove. <laughs> <laughs> so where yeah. are there like uh other popular artists like on Spotify that I would I would recognize For, the drums in? Probably not. I mean, Tamborazo is more kind of like they have bands that just do it, but. I mean, there's not so much so popular, but if you're talking about other genres, um, you know, how do you, Mexican how do you spell flesh, it? T A M B O R A Z O. So tambor in Spanish actually means drum. <laughs> That's a good party music, Richie. I'm gonna take you there. This is it. Yeah, we should get a video. You trying to dance to that? That'd be fun. <laughs> The drums are very quick, very quick pace. And it makes me think of my Native American dancing because I dance Native American and then. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Now, 
They were actually going to be having the um, the Taste of Mexico in uh, Little Village this weekend if it wasn't COVID. And you would definitely catch me there dancing that type of music, that bands that are live, of course, the fresh, you know, Mexican mm-hmm. food and just the good people. <laughs> okay. What's a common scene you see in your daily interaction with the city? Um, well, just over by me, it's a lot of families, um, a lot of strangers greeting each other. It's just, that's what I see here on the South side in, in between the, all the communities, because I live in Englewood, but I work over at Midway. That's where our office is at. So I'm kind of pretty much in between, you know, those communities. I see a lot of street vendors and I love supporting them because they have the fresh food, better price, helping families out. Um, I actually found my frutero, which is the guy who sells the fruit. And I said, you moved today. I said, I was looking for you. He's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, and like just having those good little like uh, conversations and those relationships with people. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I really value that. Yeah. You value relationships with people, interactions with people. Yeah. Uh, and that's what you notice most about the city is the people. I really do. <laughs> yeah. If Chicago were to be destroyed, what's one quality you would choose to keep to rebuild it? Definitely the unity among the people. I think that's so key because it's like, yes, we have different talent from everybody. Um, you know, we have, you know, the masonry, we have the people who are the intellects, all these people that bring value. But if there's no unity, you have nothing. You're all just like in your separate kind of bubbles, not working together. Exactly. And, you know, uh, it takes a community to raise a child. You know, that's that premise of, you know, how I was, you know, brought into the community. And I think I think it's the same across communities. Because people do better when you're united. You have different aspects that you learn from, from observing, from participating. And I think it's the same thing um, intellectually. Yeah. All boats rise with the tide. Oh, man. That's nice. I, that's that's from Wayne. Wayne, uh, Wayne was a guest on the podcast uh, about like two months ago. And that really resonated with me. He was like, yeah. he was talking about the city and just like all the people, all boats rise with the tide, you know? So like supporting each other helps everybody the more we support each other then that's the tide and we're all the boats on that tide like chicago is the tide and the more we support each other it it raises up you know that's really cool i've never heard that before and i'm definitely a nerd and i've heard a lot of things before (laughs) (laughs) when you feel overwhelmed or need a mental escape but you can't leave the city where do you go to clear your mind Okay, so I, if I have to be within city limits, right, mm-hmm. um, I'd honestly say the lake. The lake is very key for me. It's because of, like I said, my Native upbringing, because we have a lot of um, Native teachings about water, like Miniwichoni in my Lakota language means water is life. We have a lot of stories about our upbringing um, in the community and how water is, you know, important. Um, I like to go and take my actual, my Native American drum and I go and I sing and that's where I find a lot of clarity. I find a lot of strength and I feel like it's part of rejuvenating. So definitely the lake. Do you go to a certain spot on the lake? I have a couple, like if I want to be like to myself, you know, so I can sing. So people aren't looking at me and thinking like, Oh, what is she doing? (laughs) Um, I kind of, uh, 
go more south, probably more by like 31st Street Beach. Okay. Um, but I like to go either like right at the morning because the thing for us Native people, it's our belief that our ancestors are with us when the the sun rises, and so that's the best time to sing because so that way you're singing to your ancestor and giving thanks to them. So you're a morning person then. A newly found a morning person, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because of work, but also, too, I feel like I'm, you know, much more balanced, you know, with my spirituality, like, as I'm sharing with you and everything. I have much more clarity now that I'm getting older, <laughs> you know. Even wiser. <laughs> One would hope. One would mm-hmm. hope I'm not getting crazier, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go a little bit more, even more introspective. Okay. You've kind of touched on this already, but... What's a personal mantra or philosophy that guides you? Okay, this is actually going, I'm Ojibwe and Lakota, so this is a Lakota saying that a lot of people might have heard, Mitakoyoyasin. Have you heard of that one before? No, what does it mean? <laughs> it means we're all related, but it's okay. much more, that's just like scratching the surface, but it's really about the balance and unity but between all living things, which is centered like with love, peace, and unity, as well as having a sense of responsibility of maintaining the balance between um, all aspects of the life. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. What? Okay, how do you say it? Metakoe. <laughs> say it again. <laughs> Me. Yeah, say it again. Metakoe. Metakoe. Oyasen. Oyasen. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because the thing what's important for me is that really building off my identity as an Indigenous person when I came to Chicago, it was really important for me seeing the extensive nature of Indigenous people, not only in the United States border, but outside because we didn't have borders before. Our people always migrated. And the, um, you know, from Mexico, there's so many different indigenous nations. There's actually the most indigenous um, nations and languages represented there than anywhere in the whole world. Really? Yes. And Mexico. so there's there's a really common um, native language, which is Nahuatl. And they have a similar mantra, which is Nikatlaka, uh, which means the same thing as Matakoyoyasin. And I was okay. like, wow, like, it just really, that is something that really hit me when I hit to Chicago, being more connected to my indigenous roots and more of a, as we say, an all-American from north till south. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have the turtle of the north. If you actually look at uh, the United States or if you actually just Google uh, North America as Turtle Island, it'll actually show you the shape and then the south is the condor. And they say that, you know, we're united. I'm looking this up right now. Yeah, because as us Native people, we always talk about Turtle Island. And the Great Lakes, as you were talking about, you know, the water and everything, as being a p- place that's important to me, we look at the Great Lakes as the heart of Turtle Island. Yeah, I see it here. Isn't that crazy? It that's definitely... Cool is impactful when you see the world in a different way. <laughs> and you see that in North America, we're all one. Exactly. And we're, we're all just parts of it. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. I like and how, too, like, you mentioned that, like, one tribe in Mexico has a saying, and then someone else has, or another tribe has a different saying, but they mean the same thing. And I think it's really cool, too, that you can 
because we're people, we all experience and have feelings about life and, and trying, we're trying to figure this out and people just have different ways to say it, right? Mm-hmm, most definitely. Even music. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of music from, for instance, Honduras, which people don't know. There's a lot of uh, strong African roots that are still present in current, you know, Honduran um, culture. And then it sounds a lot like, if not exactly like, a lot of African um, music and, you know, culture. And it's still apparent. And that's why I loved learning Spanish, because I realized how relative and how connected we really are across the world. And that's why I love the drum, because the drum symbolizes a lot for us. For us, it's the beat of Mother Earth. The same thing in other cultures and mm-hmm. that that presence of being able to respect Mother Earth and things of that nature. It's like the like, backbone, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the structure, the infrastructure in a way, like the heartbeat almost. Describe the best day of your life. That's a good one. <laughs> um, because there, I have like two, and that's the reason why it's hard is because it's dealing with mm, two different like sides of me. So one was about two years ago, we had our annual powwow in Milwaukee. Um, I've been connected to the Milwaukee indigenous community my whole life. Um and we have a powwow that we used to have every year. Unfortunately, last year they discontinued it because of yeah. the lack of funding. But that day two years ago, it was the most beautiful thing that I ever felt because I had my mom, I had my dad, I had my best friend, Joe Sock, and he was my favorite elder. He was kind of like a grandpa for me, but he was too cool for that. So I called him my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> and we were all dancing in the circle. And finally, my my brother was able to be with us because he's always too busy for this. And he's not as centered as in the indigenous community as I am. So and then with my my friend who I call my sister, she's actually Puerto Rican, but she's which is you know the native people of Puerto Rico Um, and we were all dancing together and just that sense of kinship the family reunion between us but also two other families that you know we consider that are our our aunties and our uncles and that's just the way that you know community is and it just it felt so special and the next year my friend Joe Sock passed away so Oh, it was dang. something that, like, looking in retrospect, it was a huge blessing to be able to have that type of moment, you know, and have everybody who I really love in the in the same space celebrating life and honoring our ancestors. Wow, that's a special day, then. Yeah. Wow. My other quick special day is that when I finally got to go home, so my, my reservations are Turtle Mountain from North Dakota. We're about five minutes away from the Canadian border. We actually used to be Canadian, but you asked ended up getting more land, so now we're American, eh? Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then um, I'm also Standing Rock. So I went back home back in 2017 in the summer, and I got to go see my relatives who I haven't seen in over a decade. And I got to actually go dance um, in the powwow, in the circle, on my reservation. And I was just so moved with emotion. I was just crying because I just felt like, my soul was happy, like I'm finally home, and that sense that I can go back home and, you know, have that sense of unity, you know, with my people and have that different type of experience, because being a a Native American in the city is very different than being back home on the reservation, and my stepdad, he's actually from northern Wisconsin, a a tribe up there, so 
that okay. was always my cultural reference, um, you know, closer, but my reservation is about like 15 hours away. So it's a long ways away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a long trip. Yeah. It's fun. Don't get me wrong, but I'm <laughs> sleeping in the car. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Do you ever, uh, have you ever gotten into like native American art, like painting or like other ways of ex- expression? Oh, yeah. I'm looking at a, a painting from my grandpa right now. I don't know if you want me to share that. And I, I have this painting that I did. I've only done one painting in my life. For me, it's special, but it looks like a kindergartner drew it, but it was important to me. <laughs> yeah, that's all that matters. That's what art is. It's yeah. about the meaning. It's not about the actual art. I was on, I was on this road trip. This was back in like 2015, and I went to the, the um, Wild Bill Museum of the West. And so it has these different. I was there too. Did you go to the the art wing with all the Native American art? Yeah, but I was ten though, so this was two decades ago. (laughs) I was blown away how vibrant it was, and just like out west, there's still so much influence with the Native people, whereas like in the city, it's it's not as much prevalent. And just to like Mm -hmm. be there, where just the art itself is exclusively like native people it's just like it was so cool i was blown away i hadn't seen anything like it before most definitely i know that at the field museum um i know of people from the native community here that are part of you know restoring the native presence and voice and there's a lot of exhibits there by people who are native in the city as well as out on the reservation so that's a great way to check out something if people are interested in that we also have the Newberry Library that have a lot of things going on also to in Evanston they have uh, the Mitchell Museum, there's the Trickster Art Gallery, which is out by Schaumburg. So there's a lot of na- native presence. But I think because our population per percentage of the large population here in Chicago, we're more invisible, but we're definitely here. Chicago, if you don't mind me saying, this is just something incredible in my own family history that it's kind of ties to a larger context. I didn't realize before I came to Chicago that Chicago was a huge hub for immigration and migration for uh, many people, including Native people. During World War II, a lot of uh, the Natives were recruited from the reservations to come to Chicago, my grandma included. That's why my family's actually over here. And uh, they actually got dispersed throughout the city, um, you know, working jobs for the World War II effort. And my grandma actually ended up in Racine, Wisconsin, doing golden books, you know, like the little books we used to read when we were little kids. Yeah. She worked there. Yeah. Wow. So that's part of my family story is Chicago. When I came here, it, it was that also too that sense of like, wow, like I'm in the presence of history with my grandma. And I'm like, I wonder how she looked at the city back in the day. Did she have a similar interpretation of certain things? And it's just, it's wow. it's something unique. And I was really close to my grandma. I was her favorite. So no. <laughs> <laughs> something really cool and interesting. What I learned when I was working in the CPS program with American Indians is uh, there's actually the routes like Elston. And if you look at Arch on the south side, how they angle to go up to the yeah. middle. Um, those were old native trading routes. Were and they? So they? And that's why they're angled to downtown and there's actually trees if you go way to the north side as my old boss and friend um told me there's actually trees that are bent and that pointed to the way towards downtown 
which was a, a major route for for our people. Oh wow! Yeah, That's we had cool. uh, the pot. We had the Potawatomis here, the Dawas, the Ho Chunks, and our Ojibwe people. So these, this is all native ground. Um, and there's a lot of history. I mean, just look at the word Chicago. There's yeah. um, actually rooted in native words too, because Chicago was too hard for, uh, you know, the settlers to say so. They <laughs> broke it down. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what's the most influential book you've read? Um, when I was doing my undergraduate um, nerd work, as I call it, but I was nerd doing. <laughs> It was because I was part of um, undergraduate research, and I I was very empowering. Um, it was a very empowering experience because I studied Indian boarding schools, and okay. for me, I actually read um, Boarding School Seasons by Brenda J. Child, and for me, it was really impactful because I finally got to read something written by a Native person a person from my tribe, which, you know, in the larger band of Ojibwe, and to see, you know, the history that's never taught in schools, because history, generally speaking, is not taught by the people who it's about. It's always taught about somebody who has a different perspective, who is from a different community. And that was really impactful for me, too, because I didn't realize that I was talking to my mom about my research, and then she was opening up to me more about her family stuff, and she started doing uh, genealogy stuff, and she was telling me that grandma was actually in the Indian boarding schools and that's how she met my grandpa and that's how our family ended up you know getting started but it was really interesting because before our tribes were quote-unquote a lot of times enemies of each other and we had our differences but when you had the Indian boarding schools people came together because it was a new different time of you know learning how to be a pan Indian or just like we're all native I'm not just Arikara I'm not just Sioux um you know I'm not Seminole so that was interesting but at the same time looking at all the atrocities through that type of assimilation education and that's the way what I look at as no I understand and I'm not as shamed for not knowing my language. I know a little bit like you know, little things like greetings, mm-hmm. but it's because my, my grandparents went to a boarding school and they were beating the language out of them. Yeah. And understanding that I'm a product of that. But the thing is, is that I can take back, you know, our, our power of, you know, giving back to our people. So that way uh, my children know their language you know, the Lakota and Ojibwe, which are very different. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So it was definitely an eye-opening experience for me and connecting me from, you know, my ancestors, you know, in the general scheme of things, my family line, and understanding who I am. Because, you know, growing up, you know, where we're at, it was predominantly a white, you know, rural institution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were some people who are Native, but they weren't practicing Natives, which is very different. If you have Native ancestry, it's different than you actually being in the community, knowing who you are and, you know, growing within that. And then when I came to the city, I became much more connected. I mean, in Milwaukee, most definitely, you know, through Native community university, but here in a different context, because there's much more tribes represented here. For instance, like the Navajo, the Navajo, as you already know, the here in Chicago, Oh, yeah. So the top um, tribes that are represented here are the Ho-Chunk. Uh, we definitely have a lot of Lakota 
and we have a lot of uh, Navajo. And back home, it's a lot of Ojibwe because we have a lot of tribes in Wisconsin who are Ojibwe and the proximity of Milwaukee to the tribes there, people are always migrating. So like you might live in the city a year or two, you go back to the res and you go back and forth. And that's the constant way of life really? of that type of migration. And then here in Chicago, I've come across a lot of Lakota people, people who knew my family members back on the reservation. And I'm learning more about my Lakota side of me, which was very empowering. The Navajo, I'm like, dang, you guys are here. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So you have the Navajos, the Southwest, and Lakota, that's like Montana, Dakotas. The Dakotas, for the most yeah. Part. Mm-hmm. And then Ojibwe <laughs> is more like this area in the, the Midwest, right? Great yeah, uh, the Great Lakes. Yeah. yeah. So that's okay. a, a, a Anishinaabe is kind of like the larger band. And then underneath that, you have What's the it Anwa, you, Anishinaabe. Anishinaabe. Okay. Um, and under that band, you have the Potawatomi, you have the Ottawa's, you have the Ojibwe's and some others. With the Sioux, it's the Lakota, Dakota, Nakota. The so these are all smaller bands within. Small, a, smaller tribes within the band. Yeah. Okay. And but so the, Sioux the is bigger the bigger band, one. So like, okay, so so say Sioux, you have like that culture, and then within that, these tribes have their different cultures within a, an overall culture. Is that does that make sense? Yeah, and right? it's really interesting too when you break it down. Is that you have two different influencers. You have it when. They had the Dawes Act of 1887 when they started establishing the reservations and breaking up the bands into smaller um, components. And a lot of us, because of the border that affected us, you know, my tribe, also, too, a lot of our people were in Canada. I have relatives in Edmonton, for instance, even in Minnesota, even in Montana, because they couldn't fit everybody in one small land. So they had to spread us out because we had all this land. And then they break us into something like that big. And yeah. it's like all their people can't fit there. And so there's a lot of uh, difference in that. Um, the other thing is that because of the French. So we have the the British and the French, who had two completely different philosophies. The British were, we're staying yeah. here and we're just pretty much trying to dominate this land and take whatever we can get. The French were, we're going to intermarry with the native people. We're here for business. Uh, we might have women back home, but, you know, right here, right now, I have a native woman and it's doing me right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that actually influenced our culture because my, my band up, for the Ojibwe where I'm from, we actually say Chippewa, which we have a mix of the French and the native. So we're Métis, which is means mixed blood, if you want to go for the little translation. So our culture is a lot different than most other native cultures. Like if I say bonjour, that means hello. But if you hear it, yeah. you're like, does that sound like French? Well, it's a mix of French and native. Yeah. Because if you say Ojibwe anin, that's hello. So you can see there's a direct translation to the influence of some sort of, you know, European context Mm -hmm. with some of these tribes as well. If you look at the culture, the food, one thing that uh, we have, for instance, we have a sash or a belt that the fur traders used to wear, but we've incorporated that into our Métis, what you wear around the chest or uh, the waist. Yeah, so it's quite interesting. (laughs) So what's the name of the book again? The book is Boarding School Seasons. It's kind of a small one. Okay. Um, I thought I had it Boarding here, but 
And so through it, you're able to reconnect your history and your family history and the history here in America. Most definitely. They even have, um, it's a small read, but I think it's very impactful because it's descriptive. I believe that there's photos too. So you could see the conditions that, you know, these children were living in. Like at some of the schools, the tracheoma rate, which is like an affection of the eye, if I'm not mistaken, it was like almost 10 times the national average. There was a lot of human yeah. rights violations that they were doing. Like, for instance, I learned that if somebody was sick, just think if somebody has smallpox, right? They put mm-hmm. kids who were not infected in the in the same bed as people who were infected, and all these kids were dying. Jeez. And it's just like, this is insane. A lot of kids were trying to run back home. And just think, somebody who was like eight years old running back home across then they're like 500 miles. Yeah. And then, you know, they have to forcibly bring them back. And the idea that they said, kill the Indian, save the man. And it really goes a lot with the theory at the day before it was biological race theory, thinking that you are inherently different because you are, you know, a non-Anglo-Saxon. And then the uh, progressive you know, a notion in the 1880s was, oh, guess what? It's the ethnicity theory in which you're inferior because of your race, your language, your culture. Same thing that yeah. they were doing to the, um, the immigrants from Europe at that time. They're like, OK, we're going to race your language, race your culture. But with us, it was much more harsh because mm. they would actually beat our children into submission until they wouldn't talk anymore. Something as little as cutting hair was super significant for us. We believe that the spirit of our people live in their hair at the base of their neck. And when you cut that hair, it's a symbol of death. And it definitely meant a cultural death. But at the same time, um, we don't ever cut our hair. Sometimes people might cut it if somebody very close to them dies. And it's supposed to be on a side of respect. And unfortunately, uh, and they they would dress them in militarized uh, uniform. As if they were like little soldiers because they wanted really? to erase every single part of them. Yes. So just think of these little kids as as little yeah. as four, five years old having to do that. Think about your brothers and sisters yeah, having crazy. to be like that. And so I, I, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about it, but people don't see it. And for me personally, and I'm going to be very possibly political, look at what's going on with undocumented children right yeah. now. That they're separated from their you can parents. Make those connections. They're being tr- and that's why I get so passionate about you know, the Latino community. I know not all undocumented are Latino, but I definitely see the uh, correlations between my people's past and what's going on with other people right now. And Mm. I just try to be a voice and say, you know, I represent my community. I definitely can't speak for all my people, but I want to say that I'm a person who cares and I'm here with you. Yeah, that's powerful. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. Or I should say me, (laughs) which... So what's something you're curious about recently? Um, I would say definitely my uh, family's history. My mom has been doing genealogy, and okay. she mentioned and she found out that we actually have chief lineage on both of my grandparents' side, with whom are both Native, um, and really taking to that as a sense of self. Um, I already knew that. Have you, do you know the story of Quebec by chance? A little bit. Of I know the history of like, like French colonization here, but not, not Quebec specifically. Okay. So Quebec was actually kind of like a Métis revolution. 
it was born because of that. And so you have uh, Louis Riel, and he was the big, um, uh, I'll say the revolutionary, you know, person. And so his right-hand man was actually one of my relatives. So just think kind really? of like, yeah, just think about, you know, the right-hand man. And it was really interesting for me because I was like, dang, like there's so much history about my family that's so prevalent. And I don't even know anything. Wait, so how do you find this out? What does genealogy mean? Is that like the 23andMe type of stuff or? Well, the thing for us is that it's much different than that because we do have um, books and things that were passed down from the tribe, things that our family has kept. So my mom has a much more intricate and, um, you know, sensitive information that's more pertinent to our family. And because sometimes people don't know their lineage and they look it up and yeah. it's like, that's very different than things that have been passed down. And my mom has gathered stories from some of our elders and connecting the ties. And we found out that some of the people on the reservation where my stepdad, you know, his family's at, are actually connected to our family out West. And I was like, really? well, this is insane. Yeah. And huh. just hearing the stories and everything and thinking about how life was then and how it is today, what are the similarities and the differences and understanding too. I mean, I'm going to be very honest. Um, I just found out my mom has cancer and the importance of her being able to get, you know, this history down is so important because she has all these connections and it definitely has put a, a kind of like a bright light, like in the end time, yeah. like you really need to know this because what if, you know, your mom gets taken home soon and, I know I'm the one who's going to have to be this cultural, um, you know, cultural reference person for my family um, because I'm the one out of my brothers that, you know, is really makes a point of keeping this as is important and making sure that we know who we are because it's really a privilege of knowing who you are and where you come from because most people don't know. And for me, it really has given me that sense of strength of knowing who I am, where I come from, that come from a long line of people with strong hearts and strong wills and and people have done good things for the people. And that's something that it really ties into what I want to do currently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. And then there's this there's this aspect with your elders where once they're gone, they're gone and we lose all their stories and their knowledge. So it's really important to have those bonds with them right now most definitely and the thing for us native people it's also to the language because it's like you could be a native person you can have native blood but if you don't have your culture and if you don't have your language you're not as whole but it's not necessarily like a negative thing like shame on you it's like how are you going to be able to talk to the creator when he calls you home like our native people um recently it's more of a thing like if you're ready if you're willing you get a native name. My name is Ozazanu, which means bringer of light. That's the name. Bringer of light. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, um, and the thing is, is that I want to really reach, you know, uh, a common theme that is brought up. Like, oh, like, what's your Indian name? It's like the thing is, is that that's like a huge mockery because what my mom had to do, a lot of people think that tobacco is a drug for us native people. Yeah, sometimes they smoke it, but it's in ceremonial ways. But we use it to demonstrate that we're grateful. And if you ask for something, you present tobacco. We're not ones to use money. That was a European invention. Right. We come in a good way. You you use asima, which is tobacco. You ask somebody, can you please do this for me? If they take it, they accept that and they say yes. 
And so my mom did that with, you know, my native grandma who adopted me, which she was also through Lakota like myself. And she gave me a native name and she consulted with other elders like herself um, to make sure that the name was appropriate for me. And there's a lot of things that they had to go and think about because they're like, okay, she's Ojibwe and she's Lakota. And the thing is, is that we have a lot of gender, general gender words. Like for instance, the moon is feminine. The sun is masculine. And so the bringer of light is not referring to the sun. It's referring to the moon. And so they had to actually do that in Lakota because in Ojibwe, it's actually vice versa. (laughs) Really? So there's so many things to consider. Exactly. And if you're not within your native self, to accept the name, then you're, you'd have no business of having a native name. So for me to have a native name is a lot of, it's a, it's a huge blessing. And I, I really appreciate that. And my mom actually saw white deer. And for us, there's a lot of sacred things around us. And it's like, who comes across white deer? Well, for us, my mom was thinking about giving me a native name. And then she was like, well, I saw the white deer and I knew it was a sign that I was supposed to do so. Yeah. And so it was very special. So language is huge. It's key for us. And it's part of our, you know, cultural vitality. Thanks for sharing that. How do you feel about the term Indian? I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the thing is, is that the reason why I laugh is because it, I think it's really a debate between the old generation and the new generation. My mom, well, I'm uh I'm an Indian till the day I die is her attitude. And she said that several times. Uh And for me, it's like, I don't like that word because obviously the word was created because Christopher Columbus thought he discovered India and we're not Indians. We're first nations people. (laughs) And we just called people Indians since. Exactly. It's been over 500 years. It's like, you think you could fix a problem within the first couple months, maybe, but I guess not. (laughs) Like that. Oh, oh, we're not in India. Maybe... Maybe, uh, Almost let's Indian. not use the <laughs> Yeah, but the thing is, is that the thing, oh, what I've seen a lot with our elders is that they've just given up. They're just like, oh, well, I already fought my fought. As my mom said, I used to be like you. I used to, you know, want to be able to make a difference. And now I just have to accept things are the way it is. I'm old. And I'm just like, so what are you going to leave us to inherit these type of social, cultural issues? So that way we have to you know, use a a kind voice to tell people how to respect us. Um, The thing what I, you know, I think what's safer is to use a person's tribe. I found that to be more respectful. Some people here, they like the term of indigenous, but it's more if they have uh, connections to other cultures. Like for me, because I want to connect myself with other native people throughout North and South America because I know through personal experience, I've been to native ceremonies, even from people from, you know, Mexico, which who are indigenous. Mm-hmm. Like what I know is that their people came up and they brought us ceremonies. They brought us medicines and we learned from them. And okay. so it only makes sense that we're so similar. And the whole idea of the border, and it's just like the border crossed us, even our native people. We've been here for over 10,000 years, especially in this area. Um, And so I look at them as, you know, my brothers and sisters and that type of unity is important. And that's why, you know, the words we use have so much power. You know, for instance, in the hot debate, you can say illegal or you can say 
undocumented. If you say somebody's illegal, it's like you don't belong. You're yeah. a crime-ridden person. And if you say undocumented, illegal has a yeah, it's it's about laws and like man-made laws, whereas undocumented is just like you see the person, like the human, yeah. Exactly. And so, so I, what is, I taught classes like that. And I told my students that I'm like, it could be in anything you do. And I'm like, right. how, how many times have you been in a disagreement? And somebody says that one word and you get, you get so heated. Yeah. And it's like words have power to use them or not to use them. And you have to be more cognizant of what you say and how that reflects you as a person. And so I, I'm all about word choice, man. <laughs> so my next question for you. Within the past five years of living in Chicago, what personal realization has improved your outlook on life the most? It's so hard. There's so many components. I mean, if I could narrow it down to three, <laughs> the first thing I would say is definitely my master's degree because that was my personal intellectual exploration of my identity um, okay. and the world around me. Um, like I, I studied Indian boarding schools and talking about restorative justice education, how to take something as painful and traumatic as the past, use that historical trauma and build something productive to provide healing. And, and part of that empowerment for me, um, like I said, I had to overcome a lot of, I'll just say, challenges and painful experiences. Um, and here in Chicago, a great an organization that I very much um, support with my whole heart is Dress for Success, which is an organization for women um, who need something maybe as little as uh, just clothes, you know, just be able to go to a job interview or they have workshops. But the sense of sisterhood that I got in that was so powerful for me because I haven't had a strong family structure and I got that there to help me get through all of the abuse that I have been through, more partner abuse than anything. And when I came, um, you know, to Chicago, I had just overcome a really abusive relationship where I almost died um, several times and I was just broken. And in order for me to, you know, heal myself, I mean, yes, I have my native spirituality, but as you know, finding those critical components that I could build upon, they provided for, um, they provided that for me there. And wow. I'm ever so grateful in that type of sisterhood, that that connection, and knowing that people care and that they're every they're there for every step of the way in that progress and they're to help celebrate with you. That was something really critical. And honestly, if I didn't have them, I don't know if I would be as wholesome as I am today. Um, and then, of course, where I work right now um, in that professional context of being able to take all these pieces and to give back to the community. So that way, you know, really, truly helping free families and making a difference because I was a teacher before but the thing is is that I just felt like a puppet like I'm just there to mm -hmm. you know just give homework great homework maybe I might be able to make a difference in a child's life for like a day maybe a year but could I truly change that child's life in my opinion I felt not because there's so much corruption and politics in the mix that when you know people want to try to do something different, they don't allow that because of the standardization of education. When I came right. here, you know, to work with families, I'm like, I can truly change this family's life where they won't have to live in poverty and destitution for the rest of their life. That their kids can actually go to college if they want to. That the the grandkids will never have to know what the struggle is. 
And that's so empowering. And that's something that can help pave the way for next seven generations, which is important for us Native people, because it's like, okay, we're here today because of the love and dedication that our ancestors seven, you know, generations back have done for us. What can we do to pave the way for, you know, our future people to come? And for me, this is the best way, because if even if you have, you know, a job, you're, you know, J-O-B, you're just over broke. It's yeah. always a struggle. Um, there's always something that, you know, it's going to happen. Maybe it starts off good, but then they don't truly value you. Who are you to actually be able to reach your dreams? They hold you back. But here, building up for their financial literacy and their financial freedom, when you have money, you can choose the type of life that you want to live. Yeah. Like what, one thing that was impactful for me, like I was working with Miss Janelle at UIC and she was a, such a sweet woman. I loved her. She was so supportive. She said, baby girl, why are you still here? They're going to suck the life out of you. And that's exactly what happened to her. It's so sad. She she got upset and she had a heart attack. She never came back to work. She was on bed rest for three months, wow. had quadruple bypass surgery, and then she died. And that was so impactful for me. I'm like, dang, Miss Janelle, like, I really feel for you, but I don't want that to be me. Yeah. I don't want to live that type of life. You know, the creator has me here for a reason. Um, get you money, dude. He has me here for a reason. I survived all those bad things to be here. And I want to use that gift to give back. And I, I don't want to go that way. I that's a gift bring now life. that's so important during this time of uncertainty. Most definitely. And yeah. I'm just really grateful that I can be a critical, you know, agent in people's lives right now, but an agent of change. So that way, you know, I can help build up people. I mean, if people want to, you know, start making money and try something different, I'm here for them. So that way they can actually get a free education. I was this close to going for my doctorate degree. And then I said, why? When I got my master's degree, I couldn't find a job. I was in um, three different states, five different cities, and nobody would hire me. At my level, I even was trying to get a job at Aldi's. I was uh, Costco. And I just, I felt so broken. And then after going through all of those uh, experiences as well, as I mentioned, uh, and then I was like, I never want to feel like I'm nothing again. I know I'm special. I just have to be given a chance. And I was given a chance here and I've never looked back. I love it. So this is the last question I have. I feel like you've already kind of touched on it, but what are you personally excited about within the next five years? Oh, I'm so excited, Richie. Oh, my God. (laughs) I love hearing it. Woo-hoo! All right, I'm all about positive energy, right? As we oh, say, yeah. hoka hey, it's kind of like all right. Hoka hey, with our cool. Hoka hey. Um, so the thing for me though, it's about the community and myself. I want to be able to help free, financially free, like thousands. Like my life goal, I want to be able to say I helped a million families, you know, through me and my team. That would be like the most beautiful goal ever. But when the next five years. I want to be able to get as close as to making a million dollars as possible. And with that type of money, of course, I want to become financially free. I want to make sure that I can take care of my mom because, you know, she's having all this chemo stuff starting to happen. But I want to build a nonprofit programming so that way I could uh, use my education about creating a restorative justice education, focus on financial literacy, working with preteens and teens so that way they are much more aware critically aware, I should say, of the world outside and how to actually make the most with their time. Because as you know, time is money. And a lot of times we don't realize this in the sense of financial literacy until we're like 40. And then we're like, dang, if I would have known about this 20 years ago, 
or even more, I could have been ahead. And so I think that's something that's critical for me. And it's all about giving back. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks for having this chat with me today. This has been so fun. Yes. And we, you have to come down to Southside so we can go to Nuevo León so you can get the full aspect. And they have yes. great tequila, too, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'm down with tequila. Yeah, we got tequila. We got the Bucanas con Piña, the Buchanans. Mezcal. Mezcal is so good. My nice. girl hooks me up. She goes to Mexico and she brings me stuff straight from Mexico. So I'm like, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, Cynthia. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, and thank you so much for having me and for letting me share with you a little bit more about who I am and giving a voice to some of us Native people as well. Thanks for listening to Rich Conversations. Have a positive day and keep learning.